Treating seed this spring? AGI Storm FX brings you the ultimate innovation in seed treating for your modern-day farming operation, offering you speed, accuracy, and flexibility. With a simplified design, gentle handling, and precise performance, you can choose to pre-treat or treat your seed just in time. This season, choose the AGI Storm FX Seed Treater to keep you on schedule and ahead of the curve. Visit aggrowth.com for more information or to find your nearest dealer. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Jennifer Spencer. Jennifer is the farmer behind Yellow Brick Road Farm. She farms with her family on their one-acre homestead on Cape Sable Island, a small island on the southwest tip of Nova Scotia. Their homestead acts as a brooder for their small-scale pastured poultry, pig, and beef operation, which runs from April until October on their family's 200-year-old farmland, about 30 minutes away. Jennifer loves supporting local agriculture and cultivating community connections from setting up a 4-H club in their area to being the founder and president of their local farmer's market. She hosts educational workshops as well as school field trips on their farm. Before we get to Jennifer's interview today, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's five-star rating and review is titled Encouraging and Educational. As a woman who married into farming, I often felt like I didn't know how to earn the title of farmer. This podcast helps me find the confidence and the community to encourage me to find my voice in agriculture. I am so inspired by other women's stories that are told on here. I'm learning so much from them and find such good energy to head back into my field at the start of each new week. I know that what I have to offer in agriculture is important, and this podcast community has been a huge part of that. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful rating and review from Cheerlabar3 via Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your kind rating and review. And my friends, if you have not left a rating and review, I encourage you to do that wherever you can on your podcast player of choice. 
Another great way to leave your feedback is to partake in our listener survey, which has recently launched. So be sure to scroll down in your show notes and click on take listener survey or head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to get the link. We value your feedback and I am so grateful for all of you who have already sent in your listener surveys. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to get to hear more of your story and share it with my audience today. Thank you for being here. No problem. I'm looking forward to it. I've followed you since the very beginning, seeing you come from a little podcast baby up to a, up to a podcast toddler. And I just love it. Anyway, it's great. I think I that what you're that. doing is so important. <laughs> you're like my podcast mom. <laughs> When you get to be a podcast teenager, you may be on your own. I've got four of my own. I've raised four of my own. I don't know if I can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer, let the audience know who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. Well, it's a little bit of a convoluted story, but it's, uh, I mean, all all of your people that you've had on have such great stories and everything like that. And I think that, you know, we're all unique in all our ways that we come to agriculture. So I come from a too many generations to count farm family. We were uh, born and raised in uh, the backwoods of Shelburne. And that's about a half an hour from where we live now. I farm there as well. So we have two sort of locations. But this farm that I grew up on was founded by our Welsh ancestors in 1818. They came and were set up farming, you know, stone walls, miles and miles of stone walls. They were told, the children were told to pile the stones as high as the buttons on their shirts. So the stone walls, though, you know, those are a big part of our history, our farming history there. Right down to my grandfather, who founded a farmer's market. And when I say a farmer's market, I don't mean the farmer's markets of today. I mean the farmer's markets of yesteryear, which were basically a butcher shop on one end, produce from the garden on another, but all from, you know, locally sourced, but mostly brought in by one sort of family that was, you know, operating the farm store. So we grew up there. He passed away when I was six. So I had, uh, you know, I had some influence there. My father went on to operate like a strawberry you pick. We had, we've always eaten nose to tail. And my father was an avid hunter as well. So we've always been connected to the land and to nature. I don't know any other way. We just sat dreaming with my cousins in the hayfields. My whole family lived on one road. And while that sounds idyllic, you know, I never wax poetic about those years. Because you know what? I think every time period has its hardships. And, you know, like we were just speaking about cell phones and having to call on pay phones and time zones. And there, there were a lot of hardships during those times that I don't think that we can wax poetic about the good old days either, right? You know, there's a lot of things about today that are that are better and there are a lot of things that are worse. But for the most part, it was a pretty, I, I'm glad I grew up when I did. So I'm 49 now. I've worked in a multitude of professions, um, but I always kept coming back to living well, leisure, you know, sort of the therapy aspect of being connected to the land. I've always been 
you know, sort of always had my hands in those. You know, I could, I'll be honest, I couldn't wait to get out of there fast enough when I was 18. Okay. You know, I took off for the big city of Halifax and got, uh, went into a bachelor of commerce degree. I've always been interested in marketing and human resource, definitely not interested in the accounting side. <laughs> that makes my eyes glaze over. But anyway, that, we always marry our opposite. My husband loves that stuff. So that's, that's I think, you know, a great, a great thing there. So I went into uh, university, did a Bachelor of Commerce, ended up in a co-op program in England. So I lived abroad for a year where I actually ended up on a huge farming estate, you know, with wheat fields and grain silos and, you know, the whole shebang and a shooting estate. And that was very interesting. I had an experience there like no other. And I learned many, many different things that I didn't get definitely in the backwoods of Wellstown, you know. There's a lot of education there that happened with like, you know, so, you know, just, uh, just growing up in that sort of atmosphere of always being connected to the land. I think I've always felt that that is where I feel best, where I feel most settled in my soul. And over the years, I ended up, uh, we have four children. So my husband, uh, Trevor and I, he works uh, full-time as a school, skilled laborer off farm. He uh, builds lobster traps, actually, because we're on the East Coast. You know, Caitlin, we're on uh, hardcore, uh, we, we can't get any more East Coast. We are the very Southwest tip of Nova Scotia. So we are, uh, you know, as far, as close to the Atlantic as you can get. I can, you know, throw my rock out my window and we definitely have the best of both worlds in that aspect in that it is such a small area tight-knit community but we also have you know the access to technology nowadays that lets us explore all these other places so and connect with other people that we wouldn't normally you know connect with like you and not necessarily things that I was grew up with so I mean like I, I did a post the other day on, uh, you know, I write on social media, it's creative outlet. And, you know, when I said I'm Commodore 64 old, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are, you know, I'm Atari old. Okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm old. Okay. Like I remember pay phones, with, you know, I remember cords, phones with cords. I remember private lines, you know, so being older, I think brings a perspective that uh, I think that helps me feel more content where I am and I know what doesn't work for me. So that, that experience of those years is, is invaluable. I, I don't, I don't regret going, growing older. That's what I guess I'm getting at. So I, yeah, I'm 49. I just, I retired from healthcare about three years ago. I worked full-time in healthcare as a senior management and recreation and leisure for uh, the elderly population at a local nursing home. So I worked there for almost 14 years. And on the side, I always had chickens, a garden. I was always interested in feeding our family and feeding them well. And I was also always interested in helping other people do that as well. So even though it seems like I've always, you know, done other things, it's always been there. It's always been part of my soul, my being. So you know, fast forward, you know, we're raising four kids on this little island, about, like I mentioned, about population 3,000. And my husband works full-time off the farm. I'm the farmer. So I hang my, my coveralls. I like to say I hang my coveralls on small-scale poultry and pastured pig. That's where I feel it's what I'm able to do, you know, physically, mentally. It's what I'm able to uh, sort of help feed people with the easiest and the hardest, I guess I should say, because when you're doing it 
more on your own. It's It's got to be something that's manageable for you. Otherwise, you'll feel overwhelmed. So I hang my coveralls on that. And of course, I've brought my youngest son, who is 15. He worked for me all last summer on the firm. So it is a family affair. My uh, my two youngest grandchildren spend, my two grandchildren, sorry, spend a lot of time here on the farm. They live about seven minutes away. So we're blessed that way. And my oldest son, he fishes full time. So we don't get to see him a lot, but he will, he will come and, and, uh, you know, he, like he says, he follows the farm on Facebook. So <laughs> it's all you could ask at 21, right? <laughs> They know what's going on with you. And uh, then I have, of course, an older, uh, youngest, my youngest daughter, who's 18. She barrel races and participates in equine therapy. And we have horses as well. So we follow, we follow the rodeos a little bit that way and the exhibitions. And, you know, we take part in those, you know, I farm, like I mentioned, two locations. So we actually, we have an acre homestead here. And you had mentioned that earlier about like, you know, not having, you know, people who say they don't have enough space. Oh my goodness. It's, it's work, but it can work beautifully. I mean, it just flows so nicely here. I feel like we just have such a nice sweet spot of a circle of, of life here. Right. So that is, that is what I focus on here on the homestead. It acts as a brooder as well for the pastured, pastured poultry that we do and, and the pastured pigs that we do about a half an hour away on our family farm. So in our family farm, we farm usually uh, there's anywhere from what we're utilizing up to 10 acres at a, a, you know, depending on whether we have beef on the ground or not. So we don't always have beef on the ground, but uh, the last couple of years, of course, it's been important with food chains and supplies chains and things like that in order for us to be able to do beef as well, because we try to grow 80% of our own food as well as provide for people in the community. Anyway, I, I, I know that was a big rambling, you know, sort of thing, but basically right now I'm a, I'm a mother, a farmer, a community volunteer, you know, a creator. I love to write and, uh, you know, social media and my blog is a place that I sort of, you know, have that, that outlet, but I, I don't feel the constant need to hustle either. So I'm firmly entrenched that we can have a simple life and it still be very fulfilling. And that's what I want to pass on as a legacy. So. That's it in a nutshell. (laughs) That's you. That's Jennifer. You have said a few things that have kind of stuck out in my mind for a couple of different reasons. The first, you can hear the passion for agriculture and farming in your voice. This is how you grew up. This is is in your blood. Your family came to this country in 1818. That is, to me, absolutely (laughs) wild. And like you said, too many generations to count of what farmer you are. And... You spoke about the sweet spot at your one acre homestead, and it just sounds, Jennifer, like you've hit the sweet spot in life too. You found where you're meant to be, and if we could all strive for that, that would be (laughs) ideal, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what I want to get across when I write and when I, you know, I don't think everybody needs to farm. I don't think everybody needs to homestead. I don't think everybody needs to, you know, do what I'm doing. But I just feel like if people could connect to the land and to a simpler life for themselves, it would feel it would feel, you know, better for for them. And I I just want to convey that when I write like how it's worked for us, because it might inspire someone just take a little piece of it 
and it worked for them too. But, you know, I, I don't ever want to make it sound like we can, you know, everybody has to do this life. Like, you know, that's not what it's about. I don't want anyone to feel bad if they can't grow a quarter acre garden or if they can't, you know, uh, grow their own food because not everybody has access to that. And I understand that. I think food freedom is where I would like to see, you know, people have access to good food. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your homestead and how it's set up on the one acre and how things operate that way, because it's so interesting to me to have such a small space and so many things happening. When I look out into the yard and I have all of this space (laughs) and it's a mess and nothing's happening. So tell me how you do it. (laughs) and, And I will say I sound like I've hit the sweet spot or whatever, but it's work. It's always like, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's not a hustling, but it's hard work. And it's, it's that, it's that dedication and that discipline every day that we have to sink into. And that is part of a simple life though, is doing the hard things and choosing your, you know, there's a saying now called choosing your hard. And I really feel like we have chosen our hard. Like, you know, it is not always easy to get up at 5am, get doing what you need to do and be outside by six doing what you need to do in order to look after the animals. So, so the homestead actually comprises of our home, fruit trees. Uh, I'm working slowly. I wish I had started. If I could give somebody one piece of advice, though, if they want to grow their own food, plant your trees now, do it now. Because, you know, I wish I had planted a lot more fruit and nut trees, you know, sort of 20 years ago when we, when we were starting, you know, this, but I was so focused on chickens in a garden then, but I really would encourage anybody that wants to, to do that, to start there, look at your, you know, your longer term um, investments and get those in the ground. So basically we have a quarter acre garden, So it's a large vegetable garden and it uh, basically we grow, like I mentioned, a lot of food there. I just hauled beets out of the ground this morning and spinach out of the cold frame. So we're still, I mean, here we are December, mid-December, and I'm still hauling, being able to haul vegetables out. So that to me is very important that we are, you know, able to still eat fresh, like, you know, as long as we can. So, and I've got carrots in the ground now and and things like that. So the, you know, being able to do that is important, but also at the same time, keeping an eye to the future of the main crops, which will, our gardening season here on the East coast is usually from about June to October will be. So that's at the end of our last frost, you know, our end of our last frost is the beginning of June and our first frost is like October. So we have a very short growing season. It's very challenging. We get a hundred kilometer winds on, you know, every other day basis. So no big structures, everything has to be kind of low. So low tunnels, low, low, uh, you know, sort of fences and, and things to hang off of. So we, we keep those in check and then we, we go off into like sort of our livestock. So then we have two miniature ponies and they are used for therapy mostly, you know, with the, the neighborhood. And they were, when my daughter first started being interested in riding, we got those in order for her to learn about the husbandry of animals and they were rescued they had been in foster care from a zoo and they were not able to look after them anymore so we took them on that was about nine ten years ago almost nine years ago yes nine years ago so we were able to take those on as as sort of our beginning of you know so she could learn more about husbandry you know work on 4-h projects with them and things like that they're just wonderful they're just part of our family like you know they were 
they were 10 months and three years, I think when we got them and, you know, and, and they've just grown up with my kids and we, you know, they're just, we wouldn't have it any other way. And then we have laying hens. So we have approximately 40 laying hens where we hatch out our own chicks and we process the extra roosters for beef broth, uh, for chicken beef broth. Wouldn't that be interesting? I should market that. For chicken broth and, you know, the meat. So we process those extra roosters at around five months. So we do that. I do give beginning chicken keeping courses. I do education courses for people with chickens. I answer a lot of social media questions about chickens and things. And I'm always very honest about, you know, there there has to be, you have to have a plan in place if you're going to get chickens and hatch your own. That's kind of one of those little asides. Yeah, so that's how we deal with it. Then we have a brooder house. So I have a small house where I brood when we bring meat hens onto the farm. Before I take them to the pasture, I like to keep them here for approximately three weeks, make sure they're healthy, make sure they're well, feed them, you know, apple cider vinegar and get them off to a great start before I take them to the pasture. So I have a small brooding house and area that I do that with. We have three sheep which have about a quarter acre paddock as well. I use the wool to make homemade dryer balls, dog beds, arena seats, things like that. So we use the wool. We currently are switching our flock over to like a smaller flock as I get older. Our flock was Cotswolds and they were quite big. They were my biggest, I think Ram was 300 pounds. And that's a lot for me to flip by myself and do foot care and things like that. So I decided to sort of phase out of Cotswolds and go into a smaller breed of Texels. So that's what that's what I'm raising now. So we raise Texels. And my long-term plan is to frolic all the days of my life with lambs in the field. So that's my <laughs> That's my long-term plan. I I love raising sheep. I do. I could easily be a shepherd for the rest of my life. That would not phase me at all. I love raising sheep. So we have the three sheep here that we keep on the homestead. Then we have, you know, ducks. So we have a small pond. We have a grazing area and a riding ring. So we have a small grazing area for the miniature horses. And then we have a riding ring. And we will turn them out into that so that, you know, they are dry lotted with their feed. So we bring in hay to the island for their feed. We don't necessarily have enough grazing space, obviously, on an acre for uh, two two large horses and uh, two miniatures and sheep. So we bring in hay and and that's fine with me. I, I'm okay with dry lotting them. I think you you keep a certain amount of control. And you cut down on a little bit of work of pasture management when you can do that. So that's that's sort of how we do that. So we have that. We have a small pond where we keep ducks. And it's a, that is a big part of our permaculture, our overall plan for the farm. The pond brings in a lot of pollinators, a lot of, you know, it, it sort of provides a lot of a space for the runoff of the water of the farm. So the, the ground is drier. You know, it's just a lovely thing to have, too, to see your ducks out there. And we use the ducks for meat as well as eggs. So we have Welsh Harlequins and and we use those. Not a huge flock. I just usually rotate about three to five, you know, just enough. We're not huge duck eaters, but every Christmas I attempt a turducken and Lord help me. It's 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 great it's a good it's a good special event but it tell you they lie on youtube it is not 30 minutes to debone everything (laughs) fair warning if you're gonna do a turducken take your time (laughs) yeah so we we do that and then we have an area that we use for our manure 
So I think a lot of people overlook the importance of having an area to turn and turn your manure into compost. So we generally don't truck our manure off. We usually put it over and we have three piles on the go at all times. So we have a fresh pile, we have a partially turned pile, and then we have a a fully turned pile. And we'll turn that usually about at least four times a year, turn it over, pile it high to kill the weed seed. And then in the spring, we sell it. So my youngest will bag it up into feed bags and we will sell it. So we sell it for $5 a bag and we do very, very well with that in the spring, especially this is awful because we profited off of COVID, but you know, during, during the first spring of the pandemic, when everybody was like, I need to garden, but we were sold out daily, like, you know, with, with, with that, but it, it, it hasn't, it hasn't tapered off at all. Like, you know, it just was a surge sort of an activity and we had to turn more people away because we can't do very much. Right. But, but a well-managed manure pile, is completely doable on a small in a small space as long as it's managed, which is where the hard work comes in. So manure has to be picked up every morning and taken over to the pile, right? Tractors brought in, push the pile back, turn it, get it ready, flip it over to the next pile when it's time. And you know, so and most people, I mean, you know, I'm not telling anybody you know, probably your listeners that don't know that, you know, they, they're all part of agriculture as well. They know that that, you know, is, is huge. But I think that when people are starting out on a small space, they underestimate how much how much that will make your life a lot easier if you can manage a, a manure pile well. And look at it as the overall picture of your farm, of your health, right, of your farm. Because then we use the manure, of course, in our garden. So it's all full circle. Like, you know, the whole farm works in a circle. I use the excess wool as mulch. So nothing really goes to waste. I really tried, you know, we use the excess vegetables, uh, you know, or anything that can't be harvested. We use those for the animals. So, you know, those like having that whole system in place is really important. And, you know, having good fertile land, our land holds water. We have really dry wells around here, especially the last few years. Because our land is so fertile, we've been able to hold enough water that our well never goes dry. You know, we, we just just keeping an eye on that whole system of permaculture and about how everything interacts is huge. I think that that's just, you know, you can't overlook that enough when you are planning a small small homestead or a small farm. So that, that's sort of a bit of how the farm works here. And then, like I mentioned, we have the second location. And I will say that up until I, I left healthcare, that's all I did. I won't say that's all I did. That sounds really bad because that was a lot still working full time with four children. That was a lot. But at the same time, it was when I left healthcare and decided I was going to farm more and uh, help my mom with her business a little, uh, you know, on the side, I was able to sort of take it up a notch. Like we have a law here in Nova Scotia about, or regulations, I should say, about raising poultry and how much you're allowed to raise without a license. So we're allowed 200 birds um, without a license, you know, so you have to just be careful and, and look at those regulations. So we used to just provide for ourselves, obviously. And that meant that I was able to do them just here on the front lawn. I could just move them around and it was enough because I was only doing 20. So that was great. And with everything else, we, we had enough space. 
and I only did one batch and and one pig, right? So th- those were completely doable things on a smaller acreage. Like again, making sure that your manure is managed, making sure everything's all you know looked after. But then when you know I wanted to you know sort of do a little more um, to help feed the community and and to farm a little more. My kids were getting older, less hockey, less figure skating, less sort of uh, things that required, you know, organized activities that we bought into when we were younger that, you know, as young parents, I would also encourage people just not to put so much emphasis on that because, well, I could have easily, you know, done things differently on that front. I, I'm very honest about that. I, I never post from a place of having arrived because, oh my goodness, I've made some mistakes. And, you know, when we've bought into things that we, you know, we, I look back and I think, oh, that had no value. Why did I spend so much energy on it? But, you know, that's, that's sort of one of those things you, you learn go along in your in your journey so moving to the other location we have you know the the pastured pork so I was able to do a few more pigs we did them on pasture and woodlot so I was able so last year we raised nine and I of course sold the sold the halves you know and and the whole pigs to family and friends I was able to uh, do my 200 meat birds so in batches of 50 on a, on a in a tractor and move them daily, you know, which I know people probably think, well, that's a half an hour you ran. How are you making any money? You know, the gas prices and everything like that. But during that time, I'm also helping my mom. So I'm also working and I'm also helping my dad. So there was a couple other things that offset the cost of that, that I was in Shelburne for anyway. So you know, it, it makes it work. It, it, it I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I live in the la la land that this always works out financially, but at the same time, I, you do have to keep an eye to your bottom line. I mean, you know, there's no way around it. You have to be able to make this work financially. We're not wealthy. We're not independently wealthy. We have no, you know, I, 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 I don't want to go in debt to do this either. That's another thing that I am adamant about that as a farmer, I just want to be able to do what I can do physically and financially without having to go in debt. So that's just, you know, this is what I'm able to do. So that's what I do. Yeah. No, that is so great. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. Jennifer, can you talk to us about what the food climate looked like for you during the pandemic 2020 and 2021? You live in quite a remote location in the grand scheme of things with such a smaller population. What was the sense of urgency for food like in the community that you're in? 
I think that everybody did feel a sense of vulnerability. And in particular, in our county, Shelburne County, we are not an agriculture-based county at all. We have, I think, in Barrington Municipality, there are four registered farms, and I'm one of them. So that should give you a little bit of an idea of what is available here in our area. I think that everybody, and being on an island, there's always a sense of food vulnerability as well, because we, we are attached to the mainland by a causeway. And if the causeway ever was down or blocked, we always have that, you know, that added insecurity. So there's that on top of the pandemic, I think, that has, you know, really helped people, I think, get past any blocks that they had about doing that hard work about digging in. The trouble is in our area, like I mentioned, we don't have like the climate that we have is not conducive without having covered structures. So we are able to, uh, we just, uh, you know, people who bring in smaller greenhouses, things like that, it, it does work here um, as long as they withstand the wind and they're low. We're able to to do that. But I'll be honest, not a lot of people do that. We are very dependent on our two grocery stores here in the area and being able to get food. During the pandemic, people reached out to me constantly to know if I knew where to get this, this, this. If you're growing anything else, let me know. We did a seed exchange. And that was part of what I wanted to... During the pandemic, the first year, I had been set to do a... I had this crazy idea of doing a fair. And it was called the Simple East Coast Living Fair. And it was about you know, a lot of homesteading topics, but it was also a lot about vegetable growing and growing your own food and how, you know, even, even milking goats and how we, you know, and cheese making and yogurt and things like that. Not that I do all those things, but we have people in this community that do. And that was important to me that we bring in, I don't need to know how to do everything, but I need to have a community. Nobody's self-sufficient. So I need to have a community around me that knows how to do these things so that we can all help each other when things get, you know, into like a pandemic situation or the causeways out or whatever, you know, how do you cure bacon? How do you, you know, if I need to butcher my pig and there's no butcher available, you know, and it's, it's really hard right now to get into a butcher in our area for beef. So we uh, actually had to utilize a different butcher, uh, you know, for our beef. We actually had to utilize a different smoker for our pigs this year for the bacons and hams due to some other issues. But it, you know, it, 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 we're definitely vulnerable here and we are remote. We're about two hours, almost three hours from Halifax, you know, but we've always felt a certain amount of vulnerability, whether it even be with the livestock. We are approximately two hours from our nearest large animal vet. So that can be concerning sometimes if you have a large animal emergency. There was a whole bunch of people migrating to Nova Scotia during COVID, uh, you know, it was the place to sort of come because our, our cases were low, our numbers were low, you know, it looked, it looked very attractive to a lot of people in stricter provinces and states. And we had a lot of people move here. And, you know, that was one thing that if people encouraged, uh, uh, reached out to me about some things, I always made sure that they knew that, you know, how remote we are, like, you know, that, that you need to make sure that there's even sometimes cell phone service, right? You could have access to even high-speed internet. So having those types of things, I mean, we had no grocery stores that delivered, right? You had to go, you had to go to the grocery store, which is my absolute 
you know, we have a lovely grocery store. Don't get me wrong. They give me all of their old produce for uh, no frills and Barrington. They give me all of the produce for my pigs that they don't use or doesn't go to the food bank, which is lovely. I mean, that's what I mean about community. It's like, so it's so wonderful here that way. Right. Everybody's just, you know, sort of knows who's who's who and who needs what. And so when we did that Simple East Coast Living Fair, that was one thing that came up was how vulnerable we were food-wise and that we need to start doing things on our own, what we can do. So we have to stop focusing on what we can't do and we have to start focusing on what we can do. So we can grow good root vegetables here. So how do we, how do we, you know, how do we do that well and how do we prepare those well, right? And do we know anybody that does tomatoes better because they can come in as an expert and maybe give you some tips on how to grow tomatoes better. Right. Like, you know, and so, so having that community around, so we did that the, the first year it got canceled, but the second year of the pandemic, I timed it just right. I can't even tell you how I did that because it just was a fluke. It was just, I mean, we were right in between mandates. Cases were low, things were good. So I was able to bring 50 people together in our local community hall. And we had, I think I had 10 presenters on everything from canning to how to build your own fence posts, how to build your own fences, the ins and outs of hardwood and softwood for burning woods and, you know, burning wood in your, in your stove to cheese making, to sourdough, to, you know, uh, a, a panel of experts on growing your own fruits and vegetables. You know, you could ask any question to you know, the local hardware store sponsoring and giving away seeds so that at the, at the event, so that people could feel like, you know, the financial burden was a little lifted as well. They could have free seeds, you know, and doing a seed exchange. So being able to exchange seeds with other people in the community that are climatized to our climate, right? That's huge because it has to grow well here. I can't, I can't grow some people will will brag that they grow watermelons, but I'll tell you, they're the size of baseballs, okay? Because you can't, you just can't grow big, you know, big fruits here like that. It's just, you know, they're warm climate. We just can't do it. So just working with what we have and having those discussions, I think, is huge. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I recently heard a, a statement. We were discussing agricultural land use in, in our municipality at a meeting the other day. And we talked about the fact that if Nova Scotia was cut off, because we are connected, of course, by the Cobbaquid Pass to New Brunswick, that if we were cut off, we would have about 14 days of food to last us. And that is it. And so I think that, you know, we really have to be able, those who can, you know, really need to look long and hard about choosing their heart about what, you know, what they want to do and being educated about it. I think that, you know, I'm always learning, always learning. I can't even tell you. I mean, we've just had a lovely organic grower move into the area, uh, Matthew Roy. And, you know, he's moved into the area. And I tell you, I just, I, I'm always asking him questions, playing off the, you know, playing off it, you know, and he's moved here from the United States, but he's, he's a greenhouse grower and he built like a huge biothermal greenhouse right on the water. Like, and he's growing saffron, which was unheard of here. You could never grow saffron seven years ago here in our climate, but the climate has changed somewhat. So I, I'm fascinated by by learning about these different systems and how we can we can incorporate them into our food security and our food freedom. Yeah, that is amazing. And to hear those numbers and that statistic of only having 14 days worth of food, that 
that should be alarming to people. <laughs> and uh, I think no matter where you live, just knowing your food system and what food would be available to you at any point in time. I, you know, I don't want anybody to get their tinfoil hats on or anything like that through this conversation. But uh, these are just conversations that we've had over the last two years that we just didn't have before. So Jennifer, what is your plans for the future and Yellow Brick Road Farm? I think that, you know, being, you know, sort of set... (laughs) I never want to get too comfortable because I think we don't grow when we're not, you know, when we're too comfy. And when, you know, when I mentioned the sweet spot before, I, I love the sweet spot because guess what? It's easy. (laughs) I know what to do, but I always want to be growing and not just vegetables. I want to be growing in my mind and my skill sets. So for me, I know that we want to grow a little bit more beef. We want to put some more energy into that being able to graze, you know, doing some nice grass finished beef on our family farm. So that's important. And my dad's retiring next year and that's important to him. He really has expressed an interest in doing more with that. So I will help him with that for sure. I'm really good at the animal husbandry part of it. And that is, that is sort of my skill set. I'm really good at the observation part of it too. That animal looks a little bit off. What do I need to do to, you know, what, what's going on here? Can we, can we head off something? Can we be preventative? Those kind of things. So I, I really like that aspect of it. Last year, I was going to be licensed to do a few more batches of meat hens a year because I felt like if I was moving one tractor, I probably could move two at the same time behind the beef cows in order to you know, that's, that's Joel Salatin style. And, and that sort of speaks to me to be able to cut down on the flies that, that sit on the beef cows uh, during the, when, you know, when they're grazing is to be able to follow, like, let those meat hens take care of those flies and move those behind and also increase the soil health of the, uh, you know, of the uh, pastures. So that, that's sort of interesting to me. I would love to be able to rotationally graze the more beef cows and, and, uh, pasture raised more chickens that way. I was going to be licensed this year for raising more than 200, but, uh, my father-in-law was in the process of passing away and I, um, did his end of life care. So that is, I think for a woman farmer, that is what happens sometimes is that we need to prioritize, not that men don't, but as a rural woman and a woman, uh, you know, that is the main farmer, I feel like I need to prioritize my humans over my farming, you know, more often than, than not. I, I don't feel, you know, shackled by them by any stretch because that's not, that's not how I roll. If you know anything about me, you will know that, you know, I believe that a life well lived is, is when you're surrounded by your family and that, you know, that is... the the utmost importance to me. I've watched a lot of people in long-term care, you know, I've watched a lot of bad deaths and I've watched a lot of good deaths and the good deaths always, always included a person surrounded by their family as they take their last breaths and the family understanding that they lived a, a life well lived and celebrating that fact. So that is always my end goal. And I know that may sound morbid, but because I worked in healthcare for so long, I see the full cycle of life and I've been on, I've been able to take that lesson away. 
from working in healthcare. And that is, that is always what I, I would hope for my own life. So I, I would really love to be able to farm more, but in the end, I just want to live a good life with my family. And if that means sometimes prioritizing other things, you know, over farming, then that's, that's how it goes. But it, it is there always. The farming is there always and feeding people is there always. You know, it's, it's just, it's in me. It's, it's, you know, it's part of the reason why we founded the Barrington Farmers Market. We didn't have a farmers market here for a long time. And we did our first year, the year before COVID. And then we did two years during COVID and we still did well you know, fostering those vendors, fostering those people that want to, you know, that have something to offer in our community and being able to do that. Like that's, that's huge to me. And a lot of them are doing exactly what I'm doing, trying to live a simple life, trying to provide for their families, but also trying to share what they have, their abundance, which, you know, I I can't think of anything better. No, absolutely not. That is so (laughs) great. My last question for you, Jennifer is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? There's so many, but I would have to say that when I am in the field and I am literally connected to the land, standing on the ground and I'm connected to the land and I'm watching, you know, the animals live a good life with kindness, dignity, and respect and the open air and they're eating bugs and they're pecking the ground and the grass is green and the birds are singing and I feel the sun beat down on my face. I think that that to me is what God intended when he made a farmer, that, that connection to the land. And that I think to me is the most rewarding part of what I do is that I feel so settled in my soul when I'm doing it. And that's a lot of I. That's a lot of my statements. I feel a little selfish saying that because that was more, you know. But but it's it was about the life of the animal as well that I'm honoring that. So I don't, I you know, it's it's just that whole settling of my, you know, of of both of our souls and that connection. Right. Well, it's full circle. It brings it back. Right. So that is beautiful. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. I could listen to you talk all day of all of the stories you could share with us. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Well, you can find me at www.yellowbrickroadfarm.ca. That's the uh, website that we have. Um, and you'll find a little bit of everything on there. That's where my blog lives. And uh, I try to post to that at least weekly. You know, sometimes it's recipes. Sometimes it's how-to. Sometimes it's just, you know, ramblings of what's going on here at the farm. I will say that we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. So Yellow Brick Road Farm on both of those, as well as YouTube um, under Yellow Brick Road Farm. I don't post to YouTube very often. It's not my forte. And I really, to be honest, what speaks to my soul is the creative writing on my webs, on my um, blog and on the social media. That is where I sort of um, find my greatest voice and my greatest clarity about what I, what I'm hoping to convey and what I hope people can you know, if they, if they can get anything, go to social media, I just want them to get something good. And that's, that's, you know, that's where I'm posting from is always just something that maybe somebody can use. And that is where, you know, I, I hang my hat that way. That's perfect. Well, I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. 
Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was amazing. I was so glad to talk to you. I love what you do. I really do. I think it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.